Hello and welcome to Malavision, the podcast that gives you the vision and the voice to be heard. Hello everybody, welcome to my podcast Malavision. This podcast is sponsored by Henry Paul Funeral Directors, your number one funeral directors in the Royal Tunbridge Wells area. To find out more, visit www.henrypaulfunerals.co.uk forward slash services. And today I'm joined by Dame Kelly Holmes. I'll do my own clap and cheer. So, um, yeah, so I have very amazingly got Kelly on here today through the Pickering Cancer Drop-In Centre and um, and it's going to be, and I'm very happy to say that in my last podcast we spoke about how my audio will be crisp and that and this week for the first time my podcast is being produced by Chatty Hatter which is amazing and I'm really excited about. So Kelly, tell me, when was it that you realised you had a love for running? Firstly, can I say how excited I am, but also how nervous, because you seem very clued up, Malachi. So I'm um, <coughs> holding my breath for these questions. But in answer to that, it was at school. So I used to go to school in Tunbridge. My secondary school was in Tunbridge called Hugh Christie. And it's a secondary school where my PE teacher said to me that I needed to almost like back up my ideas and um, believe that I could do something good because I was a little bit naughty at school and she saw that I was a good runner so told me that I needed to start training more and sent me down to Tunbridge Athletics Club when I was 12 and that's where it all started. But doing an athletics club and then doing um, Olympics that's something quite different you know through the bigness of it so when did you go into olympics when did you think i'm gonna do this i can do this so during summer holidays was quite a good time because you have a lot of time off and when the olympic games are shown everyone seems to kind of have those um on the radio or on television and i was watching um at home and I watched a man who, his name was Sebastian Coe, and he was one of the greatest middle distance runners for Great Britain. There was actually two of them, him and Steve Ovet. Anyway, Sebastian Coe was meant to win the 800 metres, but he didn't, and he came back winning the 1500 metres. And at the same time, I was already running 1500 metres at school. So it gave me goosebumps. I saw this British person winning a gold medal and standing on top of the rostrum with the British flag playing and the national anthem playing. I was like, oh, that's what I want to do. So I went back to school and I told my best friends, Kerry, Lara and Kim, I'm going to be Olympic champion. And that was it. Well, they did say, yeah, probably because it's the only thing I was good at. But um, they are still my friends today. And I then went to have that dream. It was a fluffy cloud, but um, it was just something I had to do. And you go training, you know, athletics clubs are there to help you with your coaches and you get better because you get more consistent and you train harder and then you go through different levels. And I went from school to county, competed for my school and then English schools and then Kent. And yeah, I suppose the rest is history. And of course, it's really important, you know, dream big, and that is what you did. And from doing that and doing the Olympics, you won yourself a um, medal, 
which is absolutely amazing. So I won two goals, Malachi, don't forget that, two. Exactly, so <laughs> that's what I was going to say. So you went on to two medals, you started off with one. Did you think that then you'd get the next one or did you think that it would stay at one gold medal? Did you have quite a lot of faith in yourself? Well, the thing is, I'd been running, uh, like I said before, for county for a long time. Then I ran for the army and then I started running for Great Britain when I was older, when I was 22. So then every year I was winning different medals at Commonwealth Games, European Champs, World Championships, and I won a bronze medal in Sydney. Um, And I'd always been ranked in the top three in the world. So I always knew that I could win gold. But injuries were the biggest bane of my life, always getting injured. So um, when I went to Athens is where I won my two gold medals. I didn't really think that I was going to go and win a gold medal, to be honest. I just thought I'd take part. And if I can win two gold medals, then how cool would that be? Because I was an old girl there. I wish I was back there. But I was an old girl then. And um, I won one. And I think what happened was it just gave me so much confidence. And I sort of thought to myself, well, if you can do something, one thing, then why can't you do another? Too many people think that they can't do things in life when there's setbacks or barriers, you know. And actually, if you push yourself, you can achieve anything you want. And I finally, my dream came true. And when did you just think, wow, that's me, like I just did that? Oh, well, it was it was very strange time because... You can imagine you've won a gold medal, something you've always wanted. So that took me 20 years to get a gold medal. Then I cross the line and I win. And it was a little bit of, it was a shock. So there's this video and photo of me from Athens where when I crossed the line, my eyes literally nearly popped out of my head, meaning that I had this big expression on my face my mouth was open my eyes were really wide and my arms were up in the air and I didn't believe that I'd won and then there's they play this big slow motion on a big screen so you have Olympic Stadium has about 80,000 to 100,000 people so that's a lot of people and at the bottom of the track is a massive 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 screen so when you cross the line at the end of a race what happens is it goes up on the screen and there's a big replay. So they're replaying the end of that race really slow. So everyone's standing waiting because when I want it, I want it probably your top that you're wearing is thicker than the amount that I won that race by. So it's very, very close. So it's going in slow motion and now I'm having to wait and see and just watch and wait and wait and wait. And then it came up that I won. And the inside, I'll tell you this, on the inside of the track was this British photographer and he had all these cameras around his neck and he was jumping up and down saying, Kelly, you've won, you've won. And then there's a reaction that gets shown lots of my face with this big expression that when I play it to people, everyone laughs because it is a big face Um, and uh, people think it's funny. But I uh, won and then I had to do another three races to win the 1500. So that was hard to come back again and do it again. Do I, did I believe that I'd done it? No, very, very strange. I remember coming back from the Olympic Games and being at my mother's house in Hildenborough. My mother's been here um, Pickering as well um, and uh, went to her house and I was pinching myself in the garden 
because all the camera crews and TVs were there. And I was like, have I done it? I've done it. I've done it. So you can imagine, you know, from your age and let's say 20 years time, you, I don't know, have the world's famous people all on your podcast and you'll be like, oh my God, I've done it. That's exactly how I felt. I mean, and I think that's, you know, the most important thing, you know. Um, so tell me, what do you think was the biggest thing that happened after that big Olympic thing sort of died down? Wow. Um, kind of didn't necessarily die down, but I will tell you something that really happened, which was amazing, was that when I came back, um, we had a homecoming parade. So uh, my mother told me that there was going to be a bus, a big double-decker bus that was going to take me and my family down through Hildenborough, so the village that I lived in, and down through Tombridge, the town. And that day was very nerve-wracking because we didn't know how many people might turn out. So when they have a homecoming parade, they basically, it's inviting everybody to come out onto the streets, to wave flags, to put pictures and all of that. So we didn't think many people would come out, but we were wrong. It was incredible. So the last report that came from the police to us, that 80,000 people came out to watch me on the bus it was mad, all the schools had stopped, all the people, the old people's homes were out with their crutches and their wheelchairs and it was like people on their roofs and hanging out of windows and flags flying and everyone screaming and I had all my best friends from school and my PE teacher and my family all on top of the bus and the Ridgeon were there and all these other camera crews were there and it was brilliant. So that's probably one of the biggest things I'll ever remember. And that was just close after winning. But since then, so many things I've done. So many things. And would you say um, since doing that, you've had a realisation of how your mental health has been? Yeah, so mental health is a big one, isn't it? You know, because um, we all have, obviously, mental health. And it's either very powerful and positive or can bring us down or cause us anxiety and stress and pain and because of the life things that we go through and we all know that different people struggle at different times in life for different reasons Um, but I think the biggest thing is is when you can get support and you can get people around you that believe in you and when you have a positive attitude um, you can get through all these things can't you so I think it's uh, important to recognise that people struggle, but also to realise how people have um, got through these times and are inspiration to others like you are. And I think that, you know, mental health is so important. I think it's so important that we talk openly about it. Looking at, you know, online, I can see that you're really strong in talking about your mental health journey. Now, why do you think that is so important to be open about it? I started to talk about my own mental health problems a year after, well, just after I retired, actually, so a year after winning, because, you know, everybody thought that when I won, so when I won my two gold medals, I was the first woman in Great Britain to ever win two gold medals at the same Olympics, so I was put on a big pedestal, which was amazing, you know, and I never, ever put down those performances because... (laughs) 
you know, there's something else. But I think what also happened is people then treat you as invincible and think that you're this superwoman that, you know, just plucked out the air and suddenly could be good. And I thought it was important to tell people that you only get where you get through hard work and determination and commitment. And along that way, the journey's not easy. It's hard, you know, it's hard to be good. It's hard when things don't go right. It's hard when people question you. So I decided that if I was truthful about actually my journey at that time, um, it might help other people. So I tell people about my depression and breakdown, which I had before I won two gold medals. And for me, that was more powerful to say that I'd gone through that and won two gold medals than that I was just a good runner. So I decided that was important. So now I talk about it openly. I'm a professional speaker. I go around the world speaking. And I think it's important that people, especially in work and big companies, are open about how their people that work for them can struggle and they need support. Thank you for sharing that, Kelly. Um, I think that, you know, it, it takes real courage to talk about our mental health because I think it's almost not frowned upon but almost you know you can feel judged for talking about your mental health but you really shouldn't should you no for sure no not at all and I think it's more powerful to talk about it than to not I think you help so many more people we aren't we are humans we're not invincible we can have invincible traits we can tell it like you've got this big glow around you and this coat of armor I can already feel it and um, so it, there is a power in people and there's a power in people's stories and a power in people's journeys. But I think it's important to also articulate to people that those journeys are never just straightforward. Um, and the more power you have around talking and saying and then still being that person that talks, I think that's, that's, that's the superheroes that we have in this world. And I really thank you so much for joining the podcast. I think it's so important. And thank you so much. I've got a question for you, though. Go for before it. Before you ask me the next one. Who's on your wish list? Because I know you've got loads of people. I mean, I'm pretty proud that I'm sitting here. Just pretend I'm yes. the first best one. Yes. Who's your second best? <laughs> well, um, next on the list. Oh, let me think. Um, well, Ben Shepherd is definitely one of them. Oh, yeah. Um, and... Another one is, um, I don't know if you know from this morning, Josie Gibson. Ah, oh, she's brilliant. Isn't she, she is. She is. Um, <laughs> I've got, um, well, let everybody, um, I've got Rosie Schrager on the way on the 25th of April. So that will be going up that week. Awesome. So I'm really excited for that. But yeah, so thank you so much. Like I said, thank you so much for joining. Um, it was a pleasure talking to you. And thank you so much for being so open and honest because it takes so much courage to do that. Oh, thank you. Can I just say you are so good at what you're doing. It's brilliant to see you and like to see you in this way and a lovely smile and so, so confident. So thank you. You put me at ease straight away. I was so nervous, but... It's been brilliant. No problem. Well, you haven't shown your nerves. You did good. Thank you. Thank you.